draw your attention to the catechism question for this week in the bulletin. Uh, question number 24. The question is this. Why was it necessary for Christ, the Redeemer, to die? The answer, since death is the punishment for sin, Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin and bring us back to God. By his substitutionary atonement, he alone redeems us from hell and gains for us forgiveness of sin, righteousness, and everlasting life. This morning we are continuing our series in John's Gospel. So would you open there with me to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, passage starting at verse 28. And Gilly is going to come and read God's word for us. John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. And Jesus is before Pilate. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked them, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the word Jesus had spoken indicated the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. And went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. And as soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, 
They shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, we must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, If you had no power over me, if I were not given to you from above, therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the palace known as as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of the preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The chief priest replied. And finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Amen. Big thank you to Johnny and the choir and our musicians and the lads on the audiovisual as well. As we come to God's word, would you open up your Bibles again to John chapters 18 slash 19? And as we do so, let's ask God for his help. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you give it to us that we may have life and learn how to live well. Father, would you point us to Jesus Christ this morning? And would you by your Holy Spirit work in our hearts and lives? Change us and renew us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I guess it's that time of the year again, isn't it? All through town, they're going up, aren't they? Call me Scrooge. I don't want to see them. Not, not yet, anyway. On every lamppost throughout town, it's November. It's just not the right time of the year. It's far too early, in my opinion, to see them going up everywhere. Of course, I'm talking about general election posters. At a time when I should be giving off about people jumping the gun and giving their houses extreme Christmas makeovers, posters are going up everywhere trying to get our votes. And what every poster or leaflet or political message or door-to-door canvasser, if you're lucky to get them, what they're trying to do is convince you that you should listen to them because they have the truth. You should listen to them. And that their way of living is the best way to live. In other words, the kingdom that they're trying to build is the best kingdom possible. Now, yes, some want a republic rather than a kingdom, but semantics aside, that's what their pitch is. You should listen to them. They are building a better kingdom. As you walk through the story that John 18, verse 28, to chapter 19, verse 16 tells, you see three groups of people. 
You see the Jews, you see Pilate, and you see Jesus. And all three are trying to build a kingdom. All three are concerned with their kingdoms, but in remarkably different ways. Remarkably different ways. You have that uh, religious e righteous, self-righteous kingdom that the Jews are trying to build and protect. You have that kingdom of worldly power and success that Pilate is trying to build and maintain. And then you have the kingdom of Jesus. Kingdom of the king of kings. A kingdom unlike any other kingdom. A kingdom not of this world. Three kingdoms but only one with truth and meaning and eternal influence. As we dig into this passage this morning, ask yourself by the help of the Holy Spirit, what kingdom am I living for today? What kingdom am I serving? What voices do I listen that influence who or what I live for? You see, whether we realize it or not, we all have our agendas. We all have our little crusades. We all have our personal kingdoms that we're trying to build. And what this passage tells us is that unless the kingdom that we're part of is the kingdom of truth, and there's only one kingdom of truth, the kingdom that bears witness to the truth, the kingdom that Jesus Christ is building, unless we're part of that kingdom, we'll crumble and we'll fall and we'll be unsuccessful. Our kingdoms will conform and corrupt. And that means we'll conform and we'll corrupt. And we'll be unable to enjoy the benefits and blessings Of King Jesus and his kingdom. The good news is that we don't have to stay outside of this kingdom though. But if we listen to the voice of Jesus. As he says in John 10. If we listen to his voice and follow him. If we listen to the one who came into the world that was made through him. The one who is full of grace and truth. We can be free to live as part of his kingdom. In the freedom and joy he gives. This morning we're looking at those two kingdoms in the passage and we'll compare them with that of Jesus. The first one is this, the kingdom the Jews are trying to build. It's a kingdom of, really it's a kingdom of false religion. They think it's a a kingdom of their own righteousness. But it's not a kingdom that will last, as we'll quickly see, because it's not built on solid foundations whatsoever. But actually it's, it's riddled with hypocrisy. Uh, This morning's passage begins uh, at verse 28 of John 18 with the Jews leading Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, to the headquarters of Pilate, the governor. Now, if you've forgotten from last week uh, of the hypocrisy of these Jewish leaders, John, in two sentences in verse 28, reminds us. He says this, It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, that is, the Jews, so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. It was early morning. John brings us our attention to the fact that Jesus has been kept and put on trial overnight. And according to Jewish law and custom, as we heard last week, that was illegal. It was also illegal for this council, the Sanhedrin, to meet regarding a case involving the death penalty on the eve of a feast day. And this is in addition to a number of other breakages of Jewish law and custom. The Jews here have shown a complete disregard to their laws and custom but when taking an innocent man that they're trying to murder to the governor's house that's where they draw the line 
They're not going to enter his house lest they be defiled. You can see it already just in verse 28 that the Jews in trying to build their tight little kingdom of religious superiority, they're revealing that they themselves have no self-awareness and actually they have no love for the God that they claim to love and serve. In trying to advance their own kingdom, they're actually just conforming to the Roman world they so allegedly despise. In one verse, the hypocrisy of their religion is clear to see. It's, it's quite ridiculous. In that little paragraph from verse 28 to 32, if you look down at your Bibles, it has an interaction with the Jews and Pilate. Uh, Pilate essentially tells the Jews, uh, this whole case of Jesus, it's got nothing to do with him. But instead, verse 31, they should take him themselves and judge him. And they reply, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now that law they speak of, it's not a Jewish law, it's not a religious law. It's a Roman law. They've spent the entire night disregarding their own religious rules that have been centuries in the making. But in this quest for perceived righteousness, they disregard their own law, but they refuse to break the Roman law. And in doing so, they demand an innocent man to die. Their only charge against Jesus, as you'll see in uh, in chapter 19, verse 7, is that he's made himself the son of God, which of course is all the evidence points to Jesus' words and signs and interactions. He is. He is the son of God. This isn't a claim he's making without basis. He is the son of God, eternally so. But in their view, to uphold a mangled view of truth, they're prepared to kill truth himself. Again, their so-called righteousness is just evident as hypocrisy and false religion. Now, in their their complaint uh, to Pilate to make a a case in a a court of Roman law, uh, blasphemy charges were not going to cut it. They had to make Jesus out to be some sort of threat to society, someone who was trying to make himself king over Caesar, a political revolutionary who'd be looking to overthrow Roman rule in Jerusalem. And of course, Jesus wasn't that. He never pretended to be. Actually, he says, he makes it clear to Pilate in chapter 18, verse 36, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. Jesus wasn't looking to oust his enemies, at least not in this sense. And ironically, the man that the Jews demand Jesus to be exchanged for was Barabbas. 1840 tells us that Barabbas was a robber. That's what the ESV says. NIV, as Gilly read, says that he was involved in insurrection. This isn't some sort of pickpocket we're talking about here. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. That is a violent terrorist, a murderer, according to Luke 23.25. He's an actual threat to Roman civil order. A proven threat. He's been arrested for his crimes. A violent murderer, Barabbas which means son of the father, will go free in order for the Jews to get their wish of the son of the father being violently murdered. All while trying to have this facade of religious superiority. It's hypocrisy. The Jews' false religiosity, it's shown up once and for all at the very end of the passage. Pilate, after making a case for Jesus' innocence to them, uh, chapter 19, verse 14, he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, 
Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Without truth, they have conformed to the Roman world. They've corrupted. We have no king but Caesar. Not the king of, the, not the king of glory, the Lord, that Psalm 24, their scriptures speak of. Not God, who is king over all the earth, Psalm 47, their scriptures speaks of. Jesus is this very same God their scriptures bear witness to. But in order to reject Jesus, they reject their scripture in order to try and keep their kingdom of righteousness and religiosity. It's clear to see it's hypocrisy. Without truth, they have corrupted and conformed. Was Jesus and his kingdom a threat to their religion? Only in the sense, well, that he was the fulfillment of the law and prophets. Jesus is the one the scripture said we provide streams of living water. Jesus is one that the scripture speaks of. Even though Pilate dubbed Jesus as king of the Jews sarcastically, Jesus was in fact that. He is. He is the king over all things, over all the earth. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is king over all. And they reject him. We might think we're nothing like these Jewish leaders. Men of self-centered righteousness and false religiosity to the point where Jesus is rejected in order for gain in our perceived personal piety. But perhaps it's possible that we're more like these men than we think. Do you ever come to church with a hypocritical heart? I confess, I know I do. And when we do that, we reject the kingdom of Jesus. And instead, we live to further ourselves. Think of it this way. How have you spoken about believers that you are worshipping with today? Have you ever done so as if to say we are more righteous than they? If so, in those moments we're not about Jesus but we're about ourselves. A kingdom not of Christ but of self-righteousness. Is it possible, and I wouldn't ask this if it didn't apply to me, but is it possible that we're more concerned with things going on in our church building, our appearance, our architecture, what goes where, what goes on the walls, and we're concerned more about bricks and mortar than we are about the people in the building that we're united to in Christ, or even more importantly, possibly, the people outside the building who don't yet know Christ? Or maybe closest to the Jews' heart posture. Are we prone to revel and rejoice in the gospel that saves us? But then not believe it's able to save those or make a difference in the life of those we deem to be worse than us. Those who we think are beneath us. Those who have committed more socially unacceptable sins than us. Or maybe haven't been as private as we have about our sin. That's false religiosity. That's hypocrisy. It's a kingdom for self that cannot last. 
And here is what the beauty of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and the gospel it proclaims has to say to people like us. No matter how much we tell ourselves, we aren't righteous. By ourselves, we never can be. And there are no shortcuts we can take. There are no rules we can bend or break because we're religious or church-going or Presbyterian or right in order to stay ahead of the game and still be righteous and considered good. Actually, the good news of the gospel is, and although it doesn't sound like good news, the good news of the gospel is we are wretches. Filthy, sinning machines that are no better than those who demanded the death of King Jesus. In fact, we're every bit as responsible for the death of Christ as those who yelled, crucify him. But Jesus' kingdom isn't of this world. And Jesus' kingdom opens its doors to wretches. In fact, wretches are the only people that Jesus will allow into his kingdom. Because it's not of this world. But if we bow our hearts and we listen to his voice and we know him as the truth sent by God, we can be brought in and brought near. By faith in his shed blood for you and me, we can share in his righteousness, knowing that we have no righteousness of our own and we never can. Instead, we can be freed to live faithfully for him in the way that he calls us to for the Lord and others. His kingdom isn't of this world. It's not to say it has no impact on this world. It absolutely does. It is powerful. It is good. And it is freeing. It changes the way we live and view ourselves and view others. The other kingdom that we see in this passage is Pilate's. And it's this kingdom of worldly power and success. That's another type of self-importance. That's a kingdom that Pilate was trying to build and maintain for himself. Now, it's safe to say that Pilate in his day was a powerful man. He was a successful man. He's powerful. He lived in Judea. He was the governor of Judea, presided over a large number of people. He lived in the palace of Herod the Great. He was in charge of minting coins, a job I wouldn't mind. And as this passage shows he was seemingly able to sentence people to death at will. He would have had friends in high places. He had done well for himself. He was powerful, or at least he thought he was. And that's what his personal kingdom would be bound up in. Power, being liked, getting his way, having success. And yet look how John the Evangelist portrays him in this passage. A mighty governor who has power from the emperor to govern, administer, judgment, and rule? No. He's a weak man who's manipulated by a group of religious fanatics to kill an innocent man he doesn't even want to kill. In 1831, he tries to get the Jews to take Jesus away and judge him themselves, and he can't do that. He tries to question Jesus, this broken man in front of him, to get a clear answer, and he can't do that. What is truth? He asks as if to say truth has no value to those in power who want expediency and efficiency. Completely unaware that truth himself, the one who is all powerful, stands before him. He tries to get the Jews to free Jesus. 
And he can't do that, but as we've already seen in his short-sighted attempt, he le- it leads to the freeing of Barabbas, a violent murderer. After that, in 19 verse 1, he takes Jesus to be flogged. Now this flogging wouldn't have been as harsh as the ones received by those already sentenced to death. But instead, the idea would have been to try and appease the Jewish thirst for blood and punishment. And doing this, he dresses Jesus up in fancy dress to mock him. A crown of thorns, a purple robe, mocking his royalty. Hoping that by making a spectacle of this bloodied, battered, beaten man, the Jewish leaders be satisfied but in doing so he actually just intensifies their desire for death verse 6 of chapter 19 when the chief priests and officers saw him they cried out crucify him crucify him again this is followed by a plea for the jews to take jesus themselves it's rejected by them three times he proclaims jesus innocence a threefold announcement of jesus innocence there's no doubt in Pilate's mind that Jesus is not a threat to Roman civil life. In fact, the words he says is, I find no guilt in him. A profoundly true statement. An incredibly forceful witness to Jesus' character and credibility. And yet he still sentences this man to death. Not out of any sense of justice. Not even out of a way to assert his power but out of fear. 19 verse 8 tells us that Pilate was fearful of the crowd and when the crowd threatened him with labeling him a traitor to Rome in verse 12 of chapter 19, they say, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Caesar's friend was a a recognized title for political supporters of the emperor. Jews continue, everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat. Fear at those words triggered Jesus' death sentence. But perhaps you see Pilate's weakness and his kingdom of power most clearly with his last interaction with Jesus. He's desperate. He's running out of ideas. And 19 verses 9 to 11 tells us, He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Pilate, before a helpless man, tries to wield his position and power and authority as some sort of weapon to open this prisoner's mouth. But instead is rebuked by the man he's just had beaten. He's told he has no authority of his own. His authority to release Jesus or crucify Jesus did not come from himself, but actually it comes from Jesus, the man in front of him, God himself. Pilate has tried to build himself a kingdom of power and success. But instead he clearly seems to be weak, not getting very far. Without truth, he has no power at all. We too, like Pilate, can crave things in this world to get us ahead. To give us power. To give us authority and success. But ultimately when we pursue those things will end up weak and feeble and frail. Now, the chances are, none of us are going to be governors of great regions in Israel. 
But so often we can seek worldly power in different ways. We, we can try and attain the things that in life that speak of power and success. That's something we desire. Now, maybe for you it's your job, working hard to get to the top. Not that there's anything wrong with working hard, but if our work is an end in itself, or the money we earn is an end in itself, we're trying to build a kingdom of power and success, and that won't last. It can't. Maybe it's stuff, like we were thinking about with the kids earlier. Maybe we want more things or better things. For us, it's maybe less likely to be Christmas toys, but maybe we want toys of a different kind. Whether that's technology or transport or property. At the end of the day, those are just toys. Maybe we're trying to gather up toys and things or paint this picture of success in order to feel good and powerful and not weak. And if you're at the younger end of the spectrum here this morning, a huge one for you is going to be popularity. Especially if you're school or uni age, you're going to have to deal with things that most of the people in this room will not have to deal with in terms of social media. How many followers you have on Instagram, how much reach your posts get, how many likes you're going to get. And you're going to find yourself with a desire that's common to everyone in this room, a desire for more. Well, that's more popularity or more people liking you or approving of you. And ultimately, that's you trying to build a kingdom of power and success. But it's weak. It's something everybody in this room struggles with, how we're perceived, how, if, we're, if we're liked, what people think of us. But that's a weakness, a spiritual weakness. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, that's not a weakness that should control us. We shouldn't be stuck working for the kingdom of worldly power and success, a kingdom that will fail. Instead, we belong to Jesus through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. We're part of his kingdom. And if Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, and he calls us to be part of his kingdom, and he makes us a, a way for us to be part of his kingdom, and he teaches us to pray for his kingdom to come, that it might be on earth as it is in heaven, why do we still try to build our own little kingdoms here on earth? Why do we strive to find power and success in this world that's never going to come and it's never going to last? Jesus has freed us from the futility of that. Jesus before Pilate was the picture, not of strength, but of weakness. Betrayed, beaten, bloody, falsely accused, condemned to death. Weak, as the world would say. But yet, through the death that he would die and then defeat by his resurrection, he would demonstrate power beyond measure. For our sakes, he would become weak, emptying himself, being delivered to be crucified, dying on a cross, becoming a curse, weakness personified. And yet Romans 1.16 tells us that that is what is powerful to see of people like us. When we realize our weakness and our need of the gospel, our need of Jesus Christ. This compassion that Jesus shows us, this compassion that Pilate failed to show Jesus, That's the compassion we so desperately need. Compassion that in Jesus' kingdom we are free to show others. And as for our weaknesses, the things we lack, our failures, they're not something to be ashamed of. 
if we're in Christ's kingdom. As if they make us less deserving of Jesus and his grace. But rather when we acknowledge our weakness. That's when we're most ready to receive and experience God's power. 2 Corinthians 12, 19, where Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh, says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. If this scene in today's passage isn't evidence of that, I don't know what is. A man condemned to death who would save the souls of the world. If we're part of Christ's kingdom, we, we can reject with confidence the lies the world tells us, the things we're told we need to be successful or powerful or righteous or good. Because all we need is Christ. And in his kingdom, we can rest in him and experience the blessings and power he gives us. In his kingdom, we can talk about our struggles and our hurts and our pains in this world. We can, as Paul says, boast about our weaknesses because they glorify Christ in his kingdom. We can talk about our failures and our lack of righteousness in and of ourselves so that we can bear witness to the truth of the might and righteousness of Christ, his power to save and restore and renew and change. What kingdom are you living for this morning? Are you like the Jews, caught up with your righteousness that you reject Christ? Are you like Pilate, preoccupied with success that you miss out on the power of the Spirit in your life? Or are you, while listening to the voice of truth, living for a kingdom that's not of this world, but a kingdom that outlasts it by far and makes a difference in it? Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ we can enter your kingdom. We can be freed of our false kingdoms that we try and build. Lord, that we can know the righteousness of Christ in our life. We can experience your power working in us to save us and to make us more like Jesus. Lord, would you help us to live for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.